Welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rocking good time talking about all your favorite movie soundtracks. My name is Joseph Wade. I will be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight, as always, is my lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cutmore. Libby, you ready to rock and roll? I am always ready to rock and roll. (laughs) How are you tonight? I'm good. How about you? Doing well. So... FM took a lot out of us. Yeah, just, I, it just about killed us, honestly. Let's just start there. It was the one <laughs> we've been threatening to do forever, and once we did it, it just... I still don't think we were prepared for it. No, I just... I've been thinking about it ever since, just, like, how bad it was, and I feel like I dreamed it somehow. Like, it couldn't have really been this bad, and I'm afraid that I'm going to go back and watch it and be like, oh, no, there really was a Lynn Rodsack concert, like, in the middle of it for no goddamn reason. Yeah. And a a friend of mine just gave me um, a whole bunch of his parents' record collection to disperse uh, among friends and fans and family. Right. And there's a whole bunch of Linda Ronsat in there. And it like my chest just like shrunk like, oh, God. Oh, no. Yeah. It's very, it was very stressful. There was some Jimmy Buffett in there. There was some Don Henley. I was just like, God, there, there was the Eagles um, the long run. Mm-hmm. So just like Let's... FM was coming back to bite me in the ass. Well, see, like, I feel like I couldn't shake FM once we, you know, did the episode on it because like. A couple weeks after that, I wound up watching a documentary called The Immediate Family. I think I sent this to you. And it's literally a documentary about, like, all the session musicians who worked on all of the songs, basically from the FM soundtrack, you know, over the course of the 70s. I mean, it's these guys played with you know, James Taylor and Linda Rodstad <laughs> and Don Henley and Jimmy Buffett and Warren Zevon. And it just, like the, like, the hits keep on coming. And I'm like, every other song on that album is in this movie and i'm like good god <laughs> it's a good documentary, documentary but it's just like it really makes you realize you know how how close-knit that little community was yeah like, that yeah, southern california scene exactly like they all worked on each other's songs it's kind of incredible well, and that's what inspired the web series yacht rock right was yeah. as they were listening yeah they realized you know michael mcdonald would sing back up on this track but also share musicians with this band and so on and so forth mm-hmm. uh so oh so god you- i okay so here's my pitch okay here's what's gonna make us all the money what if we did fm as a jukebox musical on stage that's kind of the only way it should work oh i was just kidding it's a terrible idea you know, yeah, but so you many fell for it. so many terrible ideas have already been made into hit musicals. Like, if you're just out there to make money, that's not a bad one to go with. Yeah, I feel like that would probably like bring in like dads. Um, Listen, if, I, if Jagged Little Pill can become a hit, anything can become a hit. Okay. Yes, I got fed a Moulin Rouge commercial. Uh oh. While probably watching MST3K on Tubi, and they were using. Shut Up and Dance by Walk the Moon. Oh, no. And I got so angry. Like, so angry. <laughs> and, like, what I feel like I had to see that against my will. 
And then it just kept playing because like whatever <laughs> algorithm can read my heartbeat and brainwaves, they're like, oh, her heart sped up when she heard this. She must like it. I, I feel like you could feed the plot of Moulin Rouge into like an AI and you could just swap out any song and it would still work. Like any song. Moulin Rouge is one of those movies. Moulin Rouge is the Billy Joel of movies. And it was something that I once really super loved. And now like recoil visibly if anybody mentions it. <laughs> hey, speaking of Billy Joel, how's how's uh, how's that rivalry treating you? It's treating me terrible. Friends out there listening, OST party people. Um, since we recorded... Uh, FM Billy Joel has announced and dropped a new single and announced that he is forming a super group with Don Henley Sting and John Mayer and the only thing I can assume is that he read the big rewind and is using his billions and billions of dollars to personally attack me that is the only explanation I can come up with like this is a personal attack he's mad that I made fun of him and called him William Joel and now he's just going to like launch a campaign against me. You know, I bet sounds if you were to... like the kind of thing that Billy Joel would spend his time and money on. Exactly. Like he could just write a really mean song about me, but he's like, no, Mm-mm. it has to hurt. Well, like the, um, the headline that you sent me, the story you sent me, the best part of that is that like he was, was afraid to ask Paul McCartney because he's booking Paul McCartney. I bet I'd be willing to bet that if you watched the credits for the Roadhouse remake, I don't even want to say Roadhouse remake because it's not a remake. It's just an abomination before God. It's Roadhouse 3. Yeah. yeah. I bet somewhere in the producer credits is a William Joel. Like, I bet he funded that just to fuck with me. You know, if I was Billy Joel, that's probably exactly what I would do. Because, you, you know, you know, my opinion on, you know, the Roadhouse franchise. Don't try to make... Don't try to make a sequel to Roadhouse. Just make another Roadhouse. It doesn't matter. Can't because Patrick Swayze's gone. I know that. There's no other Roadhouse. It's one and done. It's too perfect. It's a perfect film, as we've discussed in our episode on Roadhouse. Well, now now that there are three Roadhouses in the world, I have to make Roadhouse five. Just skip four completely. (laughs) Evan Smith's Roadhouse. No, that was Roadhouse two. Oh, God. I seem to remember Roadhouse 2 having like a commentary by Kevin Smith kind of inexplicably. And I don't know why or how he got involved in that. I hate every sentence out of your mouth. My brain is a warehouse that is like slowly crumbling before your very eyes. All the information is just leaking out. God, this is awful. Let's let's get back on track here, shall we? (laughs) Let's get back to things that are good and wholesome like Brendan Fraser. Well almost because we still have to talk about one thing related to fm because we did a a round robin poll to figure out which one of the songs is the best song on the fm poll so we we did a round for each side and then each one of those winners went head to head uh night moves won the first round the first side Lido shuffle won the second side uh, Living oh, yeah. Saturday Night by Jimmy Buffett won the third side, and Queen's We Will Rock You won side four. So then we put those guys to head-to-head together. Night Moves went up against We Will Rock You in the end, and Night Moves won, which is exactly what I predicted would happen when we did that poll. Yes. Texted me about that, two, and you were right. It was a two-to-one uh, result. 
Not not surprises me. Not literally. That really surprises me. Two votes to one. It's like sixty percent to thirty percent. Like there it is. Sixty percent of y'all really love night moves, huh? Sixty percent of y'all are working on your night cheese. I guess. Gross. But uh, now that we're going to talk about Airheads, we will have an Airheads poll up and ready uh, not long after this episode airs. So check out our Twitter at OST Party for that. So then, Libby, guess what? It's time to talk about Airheads. I'm looking forward to this. Have you ever seen Airheads before? No, I did, but I cannot tell you when or where. Um, it probably was sometime after... I saw Monkey Bone mm-hmm. putting it in the early aughts. So I suspect I rented it from the video store I was working at. The only part I remember is the football helmet filled with cottage cheese. <laughs> Fair enough. What about you, Joe? Yeah, this was one of those that was on Comedy Central all the time when I was a kid. So I saw most of it kind of in bits and pieces. Uh, never, I don't think I ever really watched it you know, start to finish until we sat down for this. So, like, I never saw the opening credits, which were, you know, kind of a, a it's like a DIY sort of uh, animated sequence, which I, I guess yeah. I just never know, never knew that was there before. It was kind of cool. Uh, I really, like, from the start, um, it does have a very sort of grungy uh, look and feel to it in mm-hmm. a way that some of these other movies that speak to this experience, um, as we said, FM, uh, Empire Records, uh theirs feels too polished and too commercial and this one has like a little bit of a i don't want to say an indie vibe um but it 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 has almost that quality yeah there's a little bit of like a an edge the slightest touch of an edge to it yeah um but uh airheads uh directed by michael lehman who also directed heathers and the truth about cats and dogs which are two much better films than this uh and written written by rich wilkes who is a, a musician slash filmmaker his big claim to fame is writing the vin diesel triple x movies <laughs> and uh <laughs> the motley crew biopic the dirt uh so you know he's i don't know if you want to say he's got cred but there it is he also apparently created a fake mariachi punk band just to try and get himself on the warp tour and uh, apparently that. there's a documentary about his efforts to do that the band was called carne asada <laughs> so this this guy's an, an interesting dude but um yeah airheads is an interesting beast but before that before we do that let's go uh to billboarding school because i want to tell you about uh, some of the numbers related to this movie Uh, 1994 is such a, a neat year for film soundtracks as we, you know, we keep bringing up. It is. Yeah. And so the Airheads soundtrack debuted on the charts August 20th, 1994, which was like a full month after it released and a full two weeks after the film came out. So I don't know what's going on there, but nothing, it can't be anything good. Uh, but it debuted at number 198, almost barely even, you know, scraping the bottom of the charts. But the number one album on the charts was the soundtrack to the lion king of course because of course it was this is the summer of the lion king and number two was the soundtrack to forrest gump of course of course which is just the soundtrack to fm you know how many years later pretty much actually 40 hits for boomers Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's just a big old nostalgia trap. So uh, Airheads lasted three whole weeks on the charts. It peaked at number 157 and then dipped out three weeks later. But uh, the, it also tracks. It, yeah, tracks. Uh, Lion King and Forrest Gump were still in the top two spots that, that week. Uh, but not for long because the next week after that, both of those were bumped from number t- from numbers one and two by Boys to Men and the Three Tenors. And then to round out the top five, you had Green Day's Dookie right there. Nineteen ninety four was fucking weird. It was weird. Um, you know, of course, some of the other films we've already talked about from nineteen ninety four, Cool World, mm-hmm. the Flintstones, and the Mask. the Mask. Yeah, yeah. So we've got, you know starting to get swing in there uh we got some weird punk stuff over uh on the flintstone soundtrack uh and then we've got oh and then we've got the the electronica and um sort of house music coming up in cool world we've also got dumb and dumber yeah uh, with this very college radio and I, soundtrack and i think which the, i think is still to this day one of our favorite soundtracks it, it's such a good we one have it's, covered. it's probably our top soundtrack that we've ever covered on the show yes uh, but you've Worst also got movie, the, best you've also got the crow in there too i think that was the yes. too, right i believe so that one's uh, that one's getting a, a, a 4k re-release here soon and I'm, I'm debating with myself whether or not i need to pick that up because like yeah I, I i would like to revisit those uh moody goth days but then do i really <laughs> Do you really want to watch The Crow again? I got to still get the Super Mario Brothers uh, 4K. Oh, yeah, that's good stuff. That's that's yeah. It looks amazing. Oh, I'll bet. And is it the extended? It's the um, Morton Jenkel cut. Uh, I don't think it is, but it's got all the scene, like all the deleted scenes are like on it. They're there and okay. accounted for. OK, that's good. Fun. Um, yeah. So I need to get that. Cuthbert mm. Island is getting a 4K. Yeah, definitely. In time for my birthday. I just ordered the soundtrack on vinyl <laughs> and it's like limited to 750 copies. I'm like, okay, if 750 people have seen Cutthroat Island, it's because I've shown it to them. <laughs> so you bought all of them and are going to pass them around to all your friends. Yes. Um, but I'm super excited about that. Well, pirate record Saturday. Nice. I love wow. that. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a good score. Yeah. So, um, um, but yeah, let's let's finish up the billboarding school for Airheads real quick. Uh, so for, as far as the movie goes, uh, debuted August fifth, nineteen ninety four, uh, with five and a half million dollars, which was good enough to land it at tenth place at the box office. <laughs> um, and Wikipedia, it, it's um, me, I guess metrics for for box office take it says it only took in five point eight million. So this was like a one weekend movie, and then it was done. <laughs> and it definitely it, it, has that feeling of a lot of films of that era um tommy boy kind of same thing where i don't want to say it's a cult movie but it has a very niche audience and would play well as you said on television and um in rentals yeah and especially like having so many saturday night live people in it like i you had to say you have to figure like they counted on this being shown on tv a lot yeah back in the day and that there's not a lot of cursing yeah um it's definitely sort of I don't want to say made for TV. Yeah, it, it is. It's comfortably PG-13, but it's not too offensive where they have to cut a lot of stuff out. Yes. Yeah. It's it's made for basic cable, basically. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> Airheads made $5.8 million on an $11 million budget. Did not make money. Oof. Oof, yeah. But uh, so then 
we got to talk about the movie itself and the soundtrack, which is going to be interesting because I could only find like half of these songs in the movie. Yeah, I I couldn't find hardly any of them. And then the one song that I like immediately like latched onto and recognized, which was the replacements unsatisfied, mm-hmm. wasn't on the soundtrack. Right. And even the the credits said there was a David Byrne song in the film. I did not hear a David Byrne song. I didn't pick up on any David Byrne. So, you know, even even a film like this has you know the 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 long arm of Talking Heads kind of reaching into it. It's it's at some point. (laughs) Well, um, it's funny you mentioned David Byrne um, because the movie that came up after we watched this was they suggested something wild. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that tracks. Yeah. I, w- I would rather, I would watch something wild again over. Oh over yeah, this. absolutely. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, so I know since I'll, I'm going to be kind of spearheading this episode, Libby, why don't you take us through the, the plot of airheads right, right fast. Just give us a quick, uh, quick rundown. So airheads follows the band, the lone Rangers, uh, which is made up of Chaz played by our own beloved Brendan Fraser. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rex, played by uh, hero Steve Buscemi, and Pip, played by our frenemy Adam Sandler. Uh, They are trying to get a record contract. They just want people to listen to their demo, keep getting thrown out. So they accidentally, through a series of goofs and misadventures, take over a radio station. Mm Mm-hmm. And take everybody hostage in an attempt to get their song played on the air. Right. And, and all of the, the mishaps and, uh, I guess, rock and roll shenanigans therein. Because it's also revealed halfway through the film that, oh, this radio station is is on hard times. And something bad is about to happen. <laughs> so we, we get a little bit of that FM flavor, too. Where, you know, the radio station is... I guess beleaguered by corporate mandates and the true believers are going to try and save the station. Yes. Uh, it's keep it from selling out again. We see this, as you said, in FM and we see it in uh, empire records, which we'll get a couple of years later. Right. So it's another film where, like I said, the true believers kind of the people who really live and breathe rock and roll think they're going to, I guess, get one over on the man by yeah. basically demanding their MTV. <laughs> and that's just, that just ain't how the world works anymore, kids. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's in that vein. It's sort of like a little bit of like a, you know, older Gen X vein of like, we have to band together and save the summer camp. Right. Yeah. And so now that they're all adults, now it's a little more, uh, it's no longer the summer camp. It's, it's the soul, the spirit of music that lives inside all of us. Mm-hmm. And, and 1994 is an interesting time for that kind of movie to come out because, like, you, you, heavy metal is kind of on its way out. Grunge is on its way out. Rock radio is changing into something a little more accessible. And it's a really interesting. It's a good time. I'm not sure how to put this. It's an interesting time for a movie like this because I think it kind of accurately predicts that rock radio is going to die. but it wouldn't happen for another 10 years or so. And it's the music that the Lone Rangers are playing is already going out of style. Yeah. And so as we'll see on the soundtrack, there's other styles beginning to creep in, but already their music and their look feels dated 
at the time that they were trying to to sell it as this is like this is current this is the spirit we're trying to keep alive um so that that to me is kind of funny it's almost like if they showed up like a new wave clothing like ruffled <laughs> yeah. shirts um so you know that sort of rock and roll isn't quite dead but it's you know we've had grunge by the time this movie came out when did this came out what, in august of in august so by the time this movie came out kurt cobain was dead right the, and the effectively the grunge movement with it yeah and i mean they even kind of take some pot shots at grunge music in the movie too which was kind of surprising to me because you'd think like that's that's kind of the bread and butter of, of these guys but no apparently not <laughs> Yeah, it's they're still on like a sort of poison or um, Motley Crue is probably you know where they're they're hanging around or is, well Motorhead Motorhead we're yeah. about to find out. Well, I mean, and, and it's it's a healthy mix the soundtrack of like modern bands trying to I guess rework older older bands' music and then older bands trying to keep up with the times and change their own sound. So it, oh. it, and I don't, I don't think it winds up pleasing anybody, except for which we'll find out soon. Except for uh, Rob Zombie, who's just in there doing his own thing. <laughs> it's no. it's such a it's again it's such a weird movie that somehow fits and doesn't, which again feels right for for Gen X themselves. Yeah, yeah. You know, speaking of uh, of the heavy metal lifestyle, we have to jump straight into the the opening credits, which begins with Motorhead's "Born to Raise Hell." Uh, featuring Ice T. Yeah, among other people. Yeah, let's go to a clip. So we get three guest singers on this Motorhead song. You get Ice-T from the Dick Tracy soundtrack. You get Ugly Kid Joe singer Whitfield Crane from the Wayne's World soundtrack. Mm -hmm. And then in the background, you get Hanoi Rock singer Michael Monroe from the Conehead soundtrack. Yeah, it is. And, and of course, Motorhead, who we, we talked about when we talked about the theme song to Hellraiser 3, which this song apparently was one of the two songs that they recorded as a potential theme song for Hellraiser 3. And of course, Hellraiser picked the song called Hellraiser. That's that's neat. So this one then kind of got recycled. Basically, yeah. Like they asked him for a song. He gave him two choices. And so he just used the, he, they you know, recycled this one for uh, Airheads. And I think it works a lot better here. I agree. But it again, it's also kind of anachronistic. Is that the word I'm looking for? Kind of, because it's, it's also still uh, Motorhead doing like a very sort of classic rock, like old school rock and roll kind of song. Yeah, and, um, it's, and it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess they do raise hell, so it it. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that this wasn't written for this, or or at least borrowed for it. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, but that actually makes more sense. Um, their song "Ace of Spades" was also used in uh, "Shoot 'Em Up." Oh yeah, that's right. Owen, um, I'm watching Monster Spade right now, and it's not great. <laughs> it's very disappointing. It's very like, monkey's paw kind of shit. Yeah, uh, like you, you got to be careful what you ask for with stuff like that. Oh, I just wanted a 
classic age detective played by <laughs> Clive Owen. I don't really see how you can mess that up, but they did it. Life finds a way. Yes. Um, this also gets the uh, the official music video for the soundtrack as yes. Motorhead and Ice-T and all them go to, to the movies to see the film Airheads and then, of course, raise hell by starting a concert right there in the theater. Yep, kicking through the um, the screen and starting a, a show. Um, and this one made me think back to the line in The Wrestler mm-hmm. where uh, he says, what's wrong with wanting to have a good time? <laughs> yeah. And because this whole soundtrack or this, at least this song especially, really exemplifies this attitude of just partying, hanging out, getting chicks, rocking out. Like, it's that music that Chaz wants, like, sort of seems like he wants to play if you look at his his dress code and everything. And his yeah. monologue, um, which they use at the top of the video, fits with that aesthetic as we shift from this hard rock party rock to grunge and then into this free-for-all we have in the post-grunge years where you know they're trying to get the next best thing but he he has this great monologue and you should put that clip in you know what it's like to be on the bill and to play for 15 minutes and the only people there to see you are the other bands and their girlfriends don't talk to me about rock and roll i'm out there in the clubs and on the streets and i'm living it i am rock and roll it's guys like you and that jimmy wing down in palatine that ruin everything for everyone it's it's a lot less of an emphasis on like the harder like themes or riffs that like motorhead's usually kind of associated with because you know motorhead lemmy's kind of all about like you know the hard drugs and the rock and roll lifestyle. And this is kind of just a generic, like, yeah, we're going to play some music and raise some hell. But what does that mean? You know, it can mean whatever you want it to mean. Yeah. And, even says like, uh, it doesn't matter if you drink or smoke, like, okay, cool. Like it's, you can rock out without drugs. Yeah. That's like, fun. yeah, nope, no peer but, pressure here. All right. Let me, are, are, are you feeling okay, buddy? You all right? No. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> Just like that's not the the Lemmy we all know. <laughs> well, this is also like elder statesman Lemmy, so he's got to, you know, he's got to show the kids that he still knows how to rock. You know, I guess, but he was still rocking pretty hard in those days. Um, yeah, although uh, it did catch up with him eventually, and uh, we lost him in 2015. That's true, but uh, this uh, movie will reveal. You know, it, it's got a very specific feeling about Lemmy, and we'll get there soon enough. Yes. Um, but this whole this whole song, it does, again, sort of have that goofy, like, rock and roll all night and party every day mm-hmm. horseship. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It, it sort of, like, gets in you because when he's like, what do you think you were created for? Like, it makes me want to act up. <laughs> and I was an actual Girl Scout. Like, I am such a goody two-shoes. Like, I don't know how to raise hell. Like, if you ask me, like, how to raise hell, I'm like, I don't know. Um, sometimes like if something falls out of a garbage can after I put it there, I don't pick it up. Like, I guess I'm pretty, I'm pretty much a bad girl. Scandalous. I know. Or like, sometimes I'll see like litter and I won't pick it up. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) sometimes I like don't park great. And I'm like, whatever it's, they can park other places. So, but like, it just, that's the power of rock and roll. It makes good girls do bad things. Yeah, it makes you want to jaywalk on a Tuesday morning. I know. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say I'm a rebel against society's rules? I'm a loner, daddy. I'm a rebel. <laughs> <laughs> but then, then we're introduced to the rock radio station in L.A., KPPX, 
and it's uh, hosted on, you know, the radio host is Ian the Shark, played by Joe Mantegna, who looks like he would literally rather be anywhere else. Not the actor, the character. The character is so checked out. He's like super mean to everybody. He's like, you're all dumb idiots. Here's another dumb idiot song for you jerks. And like, you, you know that like that's a character, but you also know he means it. <laughs> because <laughs> like later oh. when you see him at like the concert for like some band he cannot stand any of these people <laughs> he hates that music and we'll you know find out why a little mm. later um but also more importantly Chaz is riding a motorcycle because of course he is because that's yeah. how a rock star has to be but again it's like this 80s idea of a rock star like this very late 80s this is not what young men looked like in 1994 yeah, this, this is not what the guys who aspired to be Soundgarden looked like yeah so um it does feel goofy um it's and yeah, it's definitely a caricature yes and he um he keeps trying to sneak into uh Palantine Records um apparently he's done this a couple times um yeah where he like dresses like a, a, a delivery boy so that he can sneak in and hand his demo to an executive yeah it does not work no the executive, uh, played by Judd Nelson, who is just like the, the slimiest character. Judd Nelson is so good in this movie in like his two or three scenes. <laughs> All hail Judd Nelson. All hail Judd Nelson. Um, but of course, you know, as Chaz is walking through the halls of the radio station, who do we see on the wall of the, the station? But there's a picture of Lemmy right there. Yes. You know, so like they know. Mm-hmm. You know they know. They know where their bread is buttered. Um, um, but they still reject his demo. Of class. course. And he he makes a point to tell him like he can't take it un it can't be unsolicited like they have to come and find him, which um, yeah that okay. sucks but also yeah it is kind of how the world works. Yes, um, but you have to admire his enterprising spirit. Oh, of course. Very quickly, we see uh, a bunch of guys in like cat in the hat hats, <laughs> yeah. and. They're about to take a meeting, and their manager is telling them, if you feel like wetting yourself, wet yourself. Anarchy. Anarchy. That's definitely a ska band, right? I was going to say, like, Jamiroquai. That's proto-Jamiroquai. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, like, I just hated them. Or, like, maybe somewhere between, like, a mix of, like, Jamiroquai and the Beastie Boys. They're definitely going to show up on the Warp Tour, okay? Just... Yes. A hundred percent. Um, but I it like this idea of like the mad artist, like, yeah, just wet your pants, like it's fine. Like you'll show them that you're creative, and meanwhile you've got someone who's coming in with like their whole heart and they can't even get a meeting. That's true, yeah. That is, that, so, that that is kind of a kick in the teeth, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and it, it really uh endears us to Chad right off the top. Um because he goes home. And he picks a fight, or he doesn't pick a fight, but he, um, his girlfriend Kayla, um, just isn't having his shenanigans anymore. He needs to get a job. He needs to, you know, pay the rent. And I know we're supposed to think of her as the villain, and you definitely have that that point where you've shifted over into being a, an adult. Where you're like, yeah, get a job, pay the rent, quit slacking. She's working really hard. Yeah, support your dumb ass. You go rock and roll on the weekends, but during the day, you got to go do something. Uh, there's always, you know, the post office is always hiring. Exactly. <laughs> Jeez. But she does throw out a stereo equipment, which made me really sad. Uh, yeah. And, and a, t- a, a metric ton of CDs, too. That hurts. No. 
Yeah, it does. 2024, that hurts. Oh, man. <laughs> but Chaz and the boys, they go out to uh, to the Whiskey A Go-Go to see a band. One of their rival bands is called the Sons of Thunder. Yes, and they are not on the soundtrack. No, they're not. And also, I don't think they're a real band because I can't no. find a credit for them anywhere. The only thing I can find on uh, Google when you Google Sons of Thunder is a Christian rock band from 1967. <laughs> This is every every word of that. This sentence. is not them. <laughs> no, um, but it it would have been cool to have them on the soundtrack like, again, even if it's just like studio musicians mm-hmm. to lend sort of that authenticity of living in that world, right? Well, because think- we do have the Lone Rangers. Yeah, yeah. When they, so like, let's get some of these these fake bands on there. You think back to like School of Rock, and we had a couple of like no the no vacancy songs on the soundtrack. So, you know, yeah. they, they were at least willing to to maintain like the the fiction of the world at least to the soundtrack. But here, we just don't get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we get to see uh, Michael McKeon. Michael McKeon, who's going to be the villain of this movie, essentially. Um, and he is playing Milo Jackson. Anytime you see someone named Milo, unless it is a talking animal, um, it's just don't trust anybody named Milo in a movie. Milo is it's one of those like yuppie names that is an instant code for douchebag. Also, he has a little ponytail. He has a little ponytail that's probably fake, and he's just like a greasy little tool. Yes. Yeah. But uh, and yeah. So they're going to try to get DJ Ian to play their song. They, they break into the station kind of by accident, go up to Ian. They ask him to play the tape. They pull guns, which you know, these days is kind of a rough look because like, ugh, I don't, I don't even want to play with fake guns anymore. Yeah. And um, in a few scenes earlier, uh, we find that Rex, Steve Buscemi, mm-hmm. uh, works at a toy store and those were pulled for looking too realistic. And he then fills them with hot sauce. Yes. And fires them at a stretch Armstrong doll. This is so 1994, it hurts. Uh, so there's also a crash test dummy doll that Pip is playing with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not to be confused, of course, um, with the crash test dummies we heard earlier in uh, 1994 on the Dumb and Dumber soundtrack. Though if there was a doll of that guy, that would be pretty cool. He looks just like uh, Chaz. He kind of does, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Oof. He looks like every guy of that era. Like, if you weren't like heroin skinny you were like lumberjack beefy Mm -hmm. and that's that's where he fits and if you weren't canadian you didn't get noticed (laughs) (laughs) but they yeah they break into the station they pull their guns on everybody and they manage to play about five seconds of their song on a a reel-to-reel before the whole thing goes to hell yes it burns up yep and now we have a quest in hand We've got rising tensions. We've got uh, Michael Richards as an accountant, I believe. He's some sort of accountant or someone from the higher-ups. Right. He's the station accountant. And you you know when they bring in the station accountant, something bad's going to happen. Like something something is afoot here. Mm -hmm. And he is hiding in the air vent. Right. And it's at this point that it occurred to me, did you notice where KPPX was like like in LA? Did you notice the Uh, outside? It's the uh, around the Die Hard building, it's, isn't it? It's across the plaza from the Die Hard building. <laughs> so then Michael Richards is is climbing through the air ducts, and I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense now. I never yeah, noticed it's... that it was the Die Hard building before. <laughs> but, yeah, I, as soon as I saw that, because uh, I just watched Die Hard uh, for the first time. Oh wow! This Christmas, 
And uh, I was like, okay, that's obviously an homage to Die Hard. Mm-hmm, going through mm-hmm. the vents. Yeah. So that's, that's cool. That's fun. Um, but yeah, Chaz, the cops show up. Ernie Hudson and Chris Farley are the cops. And they're yes. doing their crowd control. And Chaz sends them on a quest to go find Kayla. Kayla because Kayla has the only other copy of their demo tape. There's a couple of people um, in the station with them. I want to mm-hmm. give a shout out to uh, Reggie Kathy. Yes. Uh, who plays one of the other DJs. And I he was in Oz. So he always terrifies me when I see him. Yeah, he was also in The Mask, if you remember. That's right. He yeah. was. I think I pointed out how much he terrified me uh, in Oz on that soundtrack as That's well. That's true, yeah. Um, and... My nemesis returns. Yeah, David Arquette's back, everybody. Yeah, fuck that guy. I'm sorry. As soon as I saw, you know, as I'm watching the credits, I'm like, Chris Farley, hell yeah. Ernie Hudson, hell yeah. Um, David Arquette, I'm going to kill Joe. (laughs) (laughs) And you showed me a story just today that somebody else wanted David Arquette's role. Um, Yeah, actually, it was uh, an article in Variety following uh brendan fraser's oscar win that um paulie shore yeah actually wanted that role just the line like paulie shore did not want brendan fraser to do airheads because he said and i quote what if we do encino man 2 (laughs) no (laughs) but the um the director didn't want uh brendan fraser that seems crazy to me yeah, well, because he only really had, you know, this one movie, Encino Man, under his belt. And he's like, we don't want a caveman. And Adam Sandler was the one who went to bat for him. He said, he's not a caveman. He's a rock and roller. <laughs> Adam Sandler goes, you know, he's not literally a caveman, right? You know, the actors play roles and they're they're paid to do this. <laughs> yeah, and I love that. Like, so Adam Sandler, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. He basically created... Brendan Fraser. You know, as as much as we like to dump on Adam Sandler and it's fun to make fun of him, he's always been a real one, you know? Yeah. He always has been. Um, and we love him. He's a, so he's a Adam, good. I'm sorry I made fun of you so much on uh our Christmas creeps episode uh <laughs> on Eight Crazy Nights. But it was ne- it was necessary, and I hope you understand. <laughs> yeah, like you know. Mm-hmm. So But God I do I do love the the bit here where um like they're they're rounding up all the hostages and, and and Adam Sandler Pip starts talking to one of the secretaries and he's like, "Hey, why don't black people like me?" <laughs> it's just such a sad thing to say. Yeah, because um, he's you know he's trying to talk with you know all these different he's trying to talk to Marcus. Mm-hmm. Um, he's trying to ha- talk to Yvonne and he's but he's doing it in a very stereotypical way. That yeah, they just don't want to hear. He's just trying to be like Mr. Friendly and they just don't care because he's got a gun in their face. Yeah. And because he keeps trying to say like he's, you know, he's trying to be like, hey, I understand the struggle. No, you don't. <laughs> and Marcus rightfully calls him out right. on it. So. <laughs> but then the band, they, they ask the band to start to like explain themselves. Like, who are you? What are you about? What is your sound? And they keep coming around to the term power slop to describe their music and i'm like what does power slop even mean opposite of power pop you know that makes a lot of sense wow you have me here wow i did not put that together but you're absolutely right that's exactly what it is 
it's it's the classic rock version of power pop and which is kind of ironic because that's exactly what power pop is anyway so the second song on our soundtrack finally shows up like half an hour into this movie the band is raiding the radio station's prize closet and everything and we get the song uh i'm the one by four non-blondes let's go to a clip They're covering uh, Van Halen. Your requisite Van Halen cover, of course. And uh, Linda Perry is the only woman on the soundtrack. That's kind of unfortunate. It's also, this is a very masculine movie. True. And so I'm like, eh, I'll allow it, I guess. <laughs> um, again, different era, different audience. Um, I was very surprised at um, how good this was. It's pretty good, yeah. Just honestly delighted. Um, like it, 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 it takes some real, uh, like some real stones to try and cover any Van Halen song, but like they kind of do a pretty good job of it here. Yeah, um, I think vocals wise, I would have liked to hear someone like Lita Ford take this on Ooh, because yeah. she has a little more character to her voice. But you know, Linda Perry really like gives it her all. I'm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, after Four Non Blondes, sort of two side notes. Um, guitarist Shauna Hall, was one, who is also one of the founding members of Four Non Blondes, was in the band the Alcohol of Fame, which also featured Steve Spit Spingola from the Fontanelles. Aha. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. And then Linda Perry really is our generation's Diane Warren, in that she has written uh, a million popular songs, and I hate all of them. <laughs> That's definitely true. I know she she wrote a bunch of songs for Pink at some point. Yep, Miley Cyrus. Mm-hmm, yeah, she she's the female Max Martin for whatever that's worth. <laughs> I just, ugh, I'm, and I you know I only know what's going on, which yeah, like I hate I hate that song. It's really stupid. Like I only know and... I only know two four non blonde songs, and this is the other one. <laughs> Yeah. And so I was really surprised mm-hmm. when this one rocked as hard as it did. Yeah. It's like, wh- like, why didn't we get more of this from them or anybody? I don't know. I... But like, <laughs> you know, uh, the uh, the verse lyrics kind of work well with the movie when when they're 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 digging. You know, they're uh, making fun of like all the little kids trying to take care of the music business and like, yeah, I, OK, I see what you're doing here. Uh, they're going to wreck up the place and destroy it and everything's going to be pop music from here on out. But those are the breaks. Yeah. <laughs> but it, you know, like, I, like we said earlier, this is a 90s group, you know, kind of clinging to that sort of 70s rock lifestyle uh, through, you know, a 70s Van Halen song. And I mean, it, it works better than I think it should. I could see that. Um... The, I will say the only thing that I miss from it is um, the weird scat singing breakdown that David Lee Roth does at the end. They don't do that here, which is a shame. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> but anyway. Linda Perry, we dare you. Yeah. <laughs> See, would have been great. Would have been great. Chaz takes over the mic on the radio and he starts taking some listener calls. And <laughs> the first people that call in are, yes, of course, it's Beavis and Butthead. 
Yes, I was so excited about that. <laughs> that made me laugh so hard. You play their call. Oh, yeah. You're on the air. Whoa. Am I on the air? Come on, buddy. Give me the phone. <laughs> Am I speaking English? What did I just say, dipshit? Come on, buddy. No way. Shut up, Beavis. <laughs> oh, so what do you guys want? You guys are like the Lone Rangers, right? Yeah. We saw you guys at the wheel well last month. You suck. Yeah, yeah. Hey, come down here and say that, you punk. Yeah, it's straight. You can kiss my ass. Hey, why don't you guys make all the chicks get naked? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that made me so happy. And again, it just like really cements that this is that MTV generation. Right. It, it really places like that is you, the audience. Places you in 1994 because like Beavis and Butthead are, are huge on MTV at this time. There's a line later when when Yvonne finally gets uh, released to the police. Uh, Chaz tells her like she'll be home in time for The Simpsons, which I thought was a nice touch. Yeah, um, it, it definitely is a movie solidly of its time and not in necessarily like a winking way. Like it really makes you feel like you're right there in L.A. in 1994. That's true. Yeah. Like that's this, I guess, this is what everybody in L.A. was into at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they Beavis and Butthead also request that they make all the chicks get naked. <laughs> um, Where are we going now? Oh, yeah. So at this point. You know, Rex and Chaz start having a, a conversation with uh, Ian and Milo about, like, you know, why aren't they playing any of the music that they find in the station? Like, that's Milo's call. Why don't we play him, Milo? Listen, if they're so hot, how come they're not tearing up the charts, babe? Because you never play them, babe. You suck. And Ian is sort of like, well, you know, I prefer classic rock. Um, it, what feels, you know, to us, having just watched FM, feels like a real you know, pot shot at them, but I, I doubt they were thinking about, you know, the film FN starring Michael Brandon. Right. Um, but you know, they're saying everyone's always told me I should give a shit about the Beatles. Like, why should I give a shit about the Beatles? And I've always felt that way. I'm not a Beatles fan. Like, you know, they're, I've sort of softened on them as I've gotten older to the point where I'm like, I don't give a fuck, but why you know why should i why should i care about them in this day and age it's fine to like them but you know why should i care and um so i felt this movie spoke to me in that way mm-hmm. and then we saying oh you know we got to have music you know that meant something uh that says something he's like yeah what, what's purple haze about yeah, what's you, that trying to say yeah. which is a great point too because like purple haze yeah. is just about getting high and you can't tell me that today's music is better because it's all about just getting high like it's the same shit mm-hmm. nothing's changed yeah and but we find out here that milo is changing the format to easy listening right because rex discovers From rebel the, radio to the rain rex discovers a whole crate of like easy listening garbage and that's when milo breaks the news and so all hell breaks right. loose because they now, you know, the cat's out of the bag. So the band decides to basically help help Ian stage a basically going away party for the station. People mm-hmm. start crowding the plaza in front of the station. They're having a big party. It's great. Yeah, they're giving out free tickets, sweatshirts, merch. Yeah, just give it all away. Why not? Um, uh, it won't be worth anything in the morning. Uh, Chris Farley goes to the Whiskey A Go-Go to find Kayla, where we where we meet uh, White Zombie on stage. And they're playing the song Feed the Gods. So Let's go to a clip. Yeah. Like, I, 
I like White Zombie when they've got a little bit more bounce and groove, and, and this just ain't it for me. Yeah. I'm not a fan um, of this. We're once again welcoming back uh, Robert Zombie, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, who we last saw on the Beavis and Butthead soundtrack. Yeah, Two years right. from now, uh, Beavis and Butthead to America will be released, and we will uh, see White Zombie on that soundtrack. Of course, yes. So, um, this is not my thing. No, me neither. I, I do like uh, metal, as we've spoken about before, um, but I just, I don't do metal that's like this this heavy but i was really fascinated by uh not only the inclusion of the song on the soundtrack but its inclusion in the film uh in the world which these characters are inhabiting because um it's really indicating like where metal is headed we're moving as we said out of that the kind of glam metal heavy metal um kind of era yeah with you know, he- like hair metal, essentially. Um, Even like the, the the harder stuff, like the thrash scene is starting to die down at this point, too. And, and you get, you know, that's where White Zombie kind of emerges out of that into something completely mm-hmm. different. Yeah, because it's it's this they're fusing the energies of, you know, noise metal, um, electronica and industrial starting to rise up at this time mm-hmm. um and we're starting to the point where we're starting to see it in other soundtracks um cool world is a great example of this we, we keep coming back to that because i feel like in a lot of ways cool world is like a weird nexus point it is it's, it's as soundtracks it's because the, it's so centered it is it really is like the inflection point of like the soundtrack like universe yes where because all of these elements of the post-grunge scene are emerging mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like you've like we've opened a box and they're just all pouring out um and you know this kind of music this like really really you know we think about what we think of as heavy metal it's much more like this and much less like you know kiss yeah less like molly crew and more white zombie going forward this is starting to enter uh, the MTV mainstream, as we'll see. Um, it's getting play uh, on Beavis and Butthead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so seeing them, and uh, Kayla is actually at this club, seeing them, in a way, feels like the death of bands like the Lone Rangers. Right, because like nobody Who- cares about the, like, the classic metal you know, look and feel anymore. They want something new. And I hate to say it, but this is kind of where new metal is born. <laughs> yeah. So, but like seeing this band on stage at the whiskey where the Lone Rangers want to be. Right. And knowing that this movie is spoiler alert leading up to the Lone Rangers, like getting a contract and, and finally being the band they wanted to be. Yeah. Um, they feel so quaint by comparison. They they really do. It's, it's kind of, kind of sad when you look, when you look at like the, the band as they are versus what everything else is, you know, everything else is going on in the soundtrack. Yeah. So like to me, the inclusion of that is so fascinating. I agree. I, because I it, it negates in a way the existence of the, the look and feel of the Lone Rangers. Although when we talk about um, their track, we'll sort of get more into their specific sound. Yeah. But also, but, um, like, like you're saying, something that I, I keep coming back around to with this film is like the soundtrack and the plot and all this. All they really do is they emphasize that like Milo is right about everything. 
because <laughs> all, all of this is going away and all this is changing. And the stuff that we're changing into is not necessarily what, you know, uh, classic rock and metal fans want to see. This is new metal for a new generation and, and new fans are coming in. So, you know, we have to make way for them. Yes. Um, and he's not right in the way he's saying it, going to a um, sort of AM gold station, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah. when we realize, looking back, you know, God, 30 years now, um, we realize, oh, shit, Milo may have predicted this. What's, what's the, uh, yeah. Um, oh, it's heartbreaking. The worst person you know just made a great point. Yes. <laughs> Yes, that is kind of the the motto of this film. Basically. And just touching back on Rob Zombie for one minute, like I get that he's Hellbilly Deluxe and all, but like I'm personally am not going to be shocked like or clutching my pearls by a white man with dreadlocks and overalls. <laughs> no. Like, oh my. And I just have to say though, like the music video for this song, I realize like every white zombie video is just Rob's wife go-go dancing to the least danceable song in the universe. While, yeah. while some fat guy dressed like the devil looks at the camera and smiles. Or a clown. Don't forget clowns. Or a clown. But it's just like, it's Rob Zombie living his best life, and I kind of respect that. I just wish I liked it more. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, there's really only, like, a handful of Rob Zombie or White Zombie songs I like. Uh, their cover of uh, I'm Your Boogeyman is pretty diesel. That's pretty good. Like, it's it's Thunder Kiss like and Dragula. That's kind of it for me. <laughs> Living Dead Girl is good too. Living Dead Girl is good, yeah. I'm glad that Dragula is like still getting some love. It's getting memeified, but I I love that. Oh yeah, I mean, Drag Dragula will never die. <laughs> so Hi. where are we at now on the? Chris Farley does rip out a dude's nipple ring. That's true. That's that was nice to see. <laughs> he finds Kayla, tells Kayla that you know she needs to get back to the station, find that tape, and uh, she kind of makes her way out of there. Um. And then the next song on the soundtrack plays as the band gets the idea to write up their demands to the police. Yes, which include um, 67 copies of Moby Dick, a football helmet filled with cottage cheese, uh, a guitar with a dragon inlay, and naked pictures of B. Arthur. Yeah. And, like, the idea is that they're going to ask for a bunch of ridiculous stuff so they can claim insanity later. Which I'm not sure how, that's how that works, but, you know, good for you guys. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, they're asking for all this weird shit. And then later you see, like, the police are bringing it all in. The baby bottle. Mm -hmm. the Chris Farley is filling a football helmet with cottage cheese. And in the background, there is a Captain America arcade game, which that game rules. These guys have great taste in arcade games. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently they did find naked pictures of B. Arthur. So, yes. you know, never, never let, let it be known that the LAPD doesn't hold up their end of the bargain. <laughs> but while they're writing their, their list of demands, the next song on the, on the soundtrack plays. And I do in, regret to inform you that it is Candlebox and the song is Can't Give In. Let's go to a clip. Candlebox. Oh, nothing really. It's just like I think Candlebox has always had this kind of reputation as being sort of like the lame Seattle also rans to the grunge movement. Like they they were super late to the party, I think. Yeah, because um, they are just getting started at this point. Yeah. Um, uh, this one feels like it should be on the Clark soundtrack. Kind of does, doesn't it? 
it's got it's that uh really like blues tinged grunge that fits in better in the post grunge world yeah it's like they're they're prepared for a world beyond grunge right like it's a little more allison chainsy than your nirvana or your pearl jam but like it's got that kind of radio ready sort of vibe to it yeah it's it's, Um, it's very collective soul (laughs) yes yes that was i was trying to think of like other comparable bands i'm like what are the other uh, collective soul yep you've nailed it because um okay yeah it's you know it, and, and the song itself it's okay it's just not my yeah. it's just not my favorite i really liked it okay so i was surprised because <laughs> i always get like candlebox and silver chair mixed up you know now that you say that i think i did too i think that's who i was thinking of like i i really like can't because I in, no really seriously in my head I'm like oh yeah Candlebox has that song on the Cable Guy soundtrack and as soon as you said Silverchair it clicked like no that's a Silverchair song <laughs> <laughs> and then I've never really listened to like any of them yeah no so um so this was a, a pleasant surprise yeah I mean I don't know if like I'd go out and and buy a Candlebox CD but this one I was kind of like all right this this it felt kind of welcome. Yeah, like like uh, Far Behind is the one Candlebox song that sometimes still gets played on the radio, but for the most part, eh, they're okay. And and I'm not really into grunge, right? Like I sort of like some of the the mainstays, but that's not really a genre that I spend a lot of time in. But I do, I am a sucker for that kind of like, you know, bluesy kind of bro music. It's kind of jangle pop adjacent. Yeah, it's again that radio. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. we now call college rock. College rock, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or what we called at the time college rock. Right, yeah. The sort of uh alternative scene that was coming out of grunge. That's true, yeah. Uh so moving forward, we get uh oh yeah, they want to ask for a record contract and Chaz is very adamant like no, we can't just demand a record contract and he uses that line that uh Judd Nelson used earlier. It's got to be unsolicited. Mm-hmm. he knows he knows he's, he knows what's going on he knows what's up uh but then later um pip and Susie get it on in milo's office and there's a song playing here but i can't identify it so i'm not sure if it's on the soundtrack or not so we'll put a pin in that uh but then the swat team shows up because every they cut power every 90s movie ha- in la has to have a swat team scene so, you know, here you go. And the SWAT team guy is like, he's talking to Michael Richards on the phone. They're doing the diehard thing. And you get this like weird backstory where he's talking about how his wife is banging the pool boy. And it comes out pretty quickly that, oh, yeah, Pip is a pool cleaner. And yeah, Pip's probably banging this guy's wife. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Wow. Um, but then, yeah, this this is when they, the band takes over the station they find out that it's getting you know uh changing formats in the morning so they decide they're going to have this big party and they start blasting this music the next song on the soundtrack is a cover of the smith's song london by anthrax and like like ian says if it's too loud you're too old let's go to a clip <laughs>
really you're gonna waste that on this song? <laughs> Libby, you can tell us more about the original, can't you? So uh this isn't actually one of my favorite Smith songs. It's actually one of my least favorite Smith songs. Um London comes from the album The World Won't Listen mm-hmm. by the Smiths. Um it's not one of my favorites. I know a lot of people really like it. It never quite lands for me. And I feel like they really missed an opportunity to play Panic, which may have been too on the nose with the lyric, hang the DJ. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Uh, But this is Anthrax covering London, which feels (laughs) even more baffling to me um, because it just feels like a sped up cover of london like they don't add anything to it yeah i mean that's kind of what they do when, when they do covers that's kind of how they do it like they have a re- anthrax okay so i'm gonna talk about anthrax for a while because i love anthrax this is your favorite song isn't it yeah it is and i'm sorry i knew it <laughs> i knew it when you said you're gonna be mad yeah um, yeah you're so mad it. at me right now and I, and I i i hate to burst that bubble but there it is um okay. but yeah anthrax has a, a really weird track record with like cover songs like this came from because there's a lot of stuff going on with, I guess, this song in this era of Anthrax. So this came from uh, the recording sessions for their uh, 93 album, Sound of White Noise. And it was the first album that they did with uh, their new, their second, no, their third singer, John Bush. Like they fired their um, like hair metal singer, Joey Belladonna, and they said, we got to get a grunge singer in here to help us grunge this place up. <laughs> so they get Armored Saint singer John Bush, who kind of turns the band into like, a sludgier Stone Temple Pilots, and I don't really think it's anybody's favorite version of Anthrax because they went back from it. They they took it back like you know four or five years later. But like this session, this was one of like a series of covers that they that didn't make the album. Like in the same session, they covered songs from Cheap Trick, Thin Lizzy, and the Beastie Boys. Okay, those are all very different. They are, and the Beastie Boys one is actually on uh, the Beavis and Butthead TV soundtrack. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, looking down the barrel of a gun, which is actually a, a great rendition of it, but it's it's still Anthrax covering the Beastie Boys. <laughs> but yeah, like so, this is Anthrax basically saying like we can't be a hair metal thrash band anymore; we have to be a grunge band, and this is their attempt at trying to do that. Yeah, and I think where it falls apart is one: London isn't. It's not a great song. Mm-hmm. It doesn't like it. it kind of stays flat um there's also the smiths are a hard band to cover because you have these incredible melodies that johnny marr wrote and then you have morrissey who's not only a brilliant lyricist but has a very particular cadence Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and those two work like they work together so you can play all the Mar melodies you want, but if you don't have Morrissey's cadence, then the balance is off. Or you can have Morrissey's cadence, but not Mar's song styling, yeah. and the balance is off. And here, you're they're going through it so quickly that you don't have time to sort of savor either. And because it's not a musically exciting song the way like Panic would be, mm-hmm. or I mean, there's there's so many others. That are just much more exciting. Shoplifters of the World Unite, uh, Sheila Take a Bow, 
just from uh, even as I'm thinking from that session, which is going to drive me crazy, which album that is from in the American compilation. Let me just look really quick. Okay. Louder than bombs. That's okay, the, uh, yeah. the the American release. I mean, there's there's other tracks to pick off that, mm-hmm. and so this one this one doesn't land for me. Not because I'm mad at being a Smiths cover, but because all none of the elements are there in order to make it an effective cover the way that we saw with I'm the one. That's true. That's that's fair. And I'll and then for my part, I'll be honest, like I was not familiar with this as a Smith song before I heard this. So I knew that it was, but I hadn't heard the Smith's version yet. It isn't particularly great. And that's I think why this one flopped for me. It's because it's not a particularly good Smith song either. It's usually one that I skip. We'll see. Now, now that you say that, I'm probably not going to listen to the Smiths version because I want I want to keep the Anthrax version where it is. Yeah, fine. <laughs> you're not you're not missing anything. That's good to know. <laughs> so, um, I mean, this is not the, not the first time Anthrax has like done this with a, a cover song. Like they famously did uh, Joe Jackson's "Got the Time," where they just oh played it as fucking fast as they could, and <laughs> it's it's frantic and and kind of like it, it's what a heart attack sounds like. Oh God, <laughs> but. And Joe Jackson was even like, yeah, I love it, but I cannot for the life of me play this myself because it's just too much. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they're they're playing the song. They're going ape shit in the studio. And then all of a sudden, Harold Ramis shows up, mm-hmm. which was a surprise to me. I'd forgotten he was in this. And they have he, he's he's a he's a record executive trying to come in and, and give them a contract. But they have they play a little uh little little uh trivia game with him they ask him you know who who did he uh side with in the van halen david lee roth breakup he picks the van halen like an idiot um and then they ask him the most important question of all all right who'd win in a wrestling match lemmy or god lemmy god wrong dickhead trick question lemmy is god and then of course a little bit later we actually see lemmy in the crowd (laughs) and so because yeah. Our uh our SWAT leader has done some sort of uh, oppositional research mm-hmm. on Chaz and reveals that his name was Chester. Oh no. He was a geek in high school. Oh no. He played Dungeons oh. and Dragons. He yeah. was a geek. And then and then everyone in the crowd starts admitting they were geeks. And it's like, what? Metal he- metal fans are geeks? Every metal fan I know is also the biggest nerd I know guilty as charged yeah <laughs> like yeah I mean, it's a joke among like my friend heather's a, a metal head when i go to metal shows like i always wear a sensible cardigan <laughs> i don't want to be chilly that's fair yeah that's fair. so i mean like we're all nerds but like yes so. you know, one guy yells out yeah i used to play D and then uh lemmy is in the crowd and he goes i was the editor of the school newspaper <laughs> and I remembered that Rex said that Lemmy was God and then there Lemmy is in the crowd. And it made me realize that, um, that Joan Osborne song does have an answer. What if God was one of us? He was, his name was Lemmy. And he was the editor of the school newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> there, there you have it. There you have it. Atheists. Hate <laughs> me. Debate, <laughs> de- debate me about Lemmy. I dare you. 
Oh, um, and this is one of those moments where like the film could have ended. Yeah, it could have. Like she has the tape, and like it would have been a satisfactory ending because it's like, yeah, we're all, you know, we're all multifaceted people, and we could be geeks and still rock out. But the film isn't ready for that yet. No, and it keeps going because now you know, Judd Nelson has finally arrived to give them the record contract that they've always wanted. But Chaz discovers that oh, he's not listened to the tape because the tape is fucking destroyed. So he does not want to sign the contract without them hearing the song first. So then the grand finale of the film is Jimmy Wing, uh, Judd Nelson's character, sets up a music video shoot on the rooftop of the radio station where they're going to play the song live and then shoot the music video right then and there. Yep. And but of course, it's a music video, so they're just going to play the song and make them pantomime it. And they don't like that either. (laughs) And a riot ensues absolutely so the song plays well here it is this this is degenerated this is the lone ranger's song a lot going on with this song too because you know this was not originally written for the film this was written by uh this is written by the the band reagan youth in the early 80s like a punk band uh it comes from their 84 album youth anthems for the new order david rubenstein who wrote the song died of a drug overdose the year before this movie came out Oof. so he lived that lifestyle like you know as hard as anybody could and you get Chaz singing this song about this fictional character Johnny who's just doing drugs and doing his girl and playing rock and roll and like that's all the kids care about because they're all degenerates and it just seems kind of phony doesn't it it does (laughs) um I mean I I liked this song because I weirdly like songs about fucked up teens right um like only a lad an excitable boy but this one does (sighs) For for the aesthetic that the film presents, on one hand, you know, he does say, I want to say something mm-hmm. yeah. like our music has to say something. And it is. And it's but it's it almost seems reactionary to grunge. Like, look, at these kids that just want to get fucked up and have sex. Right. So there there does feel like a little bit of a, you know, old man shakes his fist at cloud. Yeah. Um, and also I can kind of see why nobody signed them. Cause it's like not very good. It's not a great, it's not a great cover. And it's absolutely Brendan Fraser singing, by the way. Yes. Which I do love. I appreciate and more that credit much. for that. Yeah. Heck yeah. These guys should reunite. But like, play a show. you know, it's, it, I absolutely believe this is the kind of song a kid like Chaz would write, not having an actual clue about like the real rock and roll lifestyle, you know? Like he he's yeah, he's just does, projecting on what he's seen on TV. It does. I mean, this this rock and roll version of LA is very sanitized. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it does kind of have a suburban punk feel to it. And like, I, I believe I totally buy that. Like, it, this came from like an an '80s punk band. But like, when you filter it back through, you know, early '90s sort of classic metal, like it just it, I don't it doesn't work for me. It, it again weirdly feels out of 
I don't know. It just feels sort of out of place (laughs) among this idea of like rock and roll as I don't want to say as party music. Um, like we're presented in the beginning of the film yeah. with the, the Motorhead song. It matches with his aesthetic of wanting to say something, but and then I having don't know. and then having nothing to say when he's put on the spot. It feels it does feel sort of forced and out of place. Um, and and again, it's just it's not very good. And and then of course you know a couple of years later the offspring would come out with the kids aren't all right which is basically this song done much better yeah you know so like the, the sentiment's there but like it's just half formed I think um and I suspect that hearing the original like would be a much more powerful experience than like at the end of this and I'm I'm disappointed to find out it was a cover because I would have liked the um you know someone to have written an original song for this band yeah again so that we can exist in that that space especially with the characters especially knowing that like this was written by like a musician like you couldn't have come up with your own rock song dude like really it it would only be the lone rangers exactly so that that does feel a little um kind of cagey is that the word i'm looking for cagey yeah yeah but then like you know they they refused to, to pantomime to the song for the music video and they stage dive off the stage into the crowd and then it it fades into the band playing the same song in prison and it's being broadcast live on mtv (laughs) which it occurred not except for the broadcast part it occurred to me it's literally the blues brothers ending yeah it's literally how the blues brothers ended (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah that's that's where airheads heads leaves leaves you and you find out that the band did three months in uh, prison and the album uh, the Lone Rangers live in prison went triple platinum good for them so good for them they probably never had another album <laughs> <laughs> that's how I choose to believe it and then uh, the song that sends us into the end credits is the Ramones We Want the Airwaves yes let's go let's to go. it It's per, it is no notes, um, and I I kind of like it because it's like the anti FM. It really is, yeah. It's uh, completely the opposite, and the Ramones are always a delight to listen to. Every time I hear, you know, I'm not super familiar with the Ramones. Obviously, mm-hmm. like I know uh, first album and I know some, like the hits, but I, I've never taken like a really deep dive on them. But every time I hear something that I don't know of theirs, I'm delighted. Yeah. Um, and they were starting to, by this point, stray from some of the punk music that they started with. Um, this is from Pleasant Dreams um, in 1981, mm-hmm. uh, where the song first appears. And if you listen to this and then you listen to uh, Pet Cemetery in 1989, you can hear the groundwork uh, that was laid in this song. Yeah, yeah. For Pet Cemetery. And I think I think I read that like even when they recorded this album, their their stated goal was like they wanted to try and do like an eighties Beach Boys album. And you can hear that in this song. You get that you get that kind of surf rock kind of vibe in there, but it's got that weird kind of grimy eightiesness to it. Yeah, the the grimy eighties is a really, really good way to put that. And 
uh, coming up out of uh, the late 70s CBGB's like Bowery scene. Yeah. Which was yeah. nothing if not grimy. Exactly. But also listening to this song kind of makes me wish that like a movie like this would have been made in like the, in the mid 80s when it would have maybe been a little more timely and a little more appropriate. Because you could then get a lot of like maybe 80s punk songs and maybe maybe the metal songs would be a little edgier than they are here. Yeah. And because I just I just don't think the songs like half of the songs we're not even going to cover because they're just a they're not in the film, but also b they're just not interesting because it's just this kind of also ran grunge slop. (laughs) (laughs) And that just doesn't work for this film. But um, I do want to talk about. um, Because we didn't talk about, um, you know, what might be my favorite song. Oh, what's that? Are you going to guess? Oh, uh, let me let me look at the list here. I'm going to guess your favorite song. If it's not if it's not the Ramones, it's not the Ramones, is it? No. Okay. Well, if it's not the Ramones, I'm going to guess your favorite song is Curious George Blues. <laughs> okay. It's Degeneration's No Way Out. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, that does make you sense. You definitely hear a replacements influence. Mm-hmm. It's it's a little heavier, so it's sort of like if you were headbanging to IOU. Yeah. From Please to Meet Me. Um, Wait, do you want to go it, ahead and just play a clip of that right now while we're talking yeah, about it? Yeah, let's, let's do it. This is headed more in the way of that of glam punk. It's got that garage rock sound tinged with, tinged with those electronic elements that we were talking about um, as electronic and house yeah. starts mm-hmm. to rise. Um, but I really, really liked this. Um, it's got a good melodic quality that doesn't get dragged down by like grunge and alternative vocals. Um, it's so it's really well balanced and feels wonderfully of the era. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, as we head towards alternative and college rock, um, it brings in all of these sort of vintage elements. Um, really more, I guess, thrift store elements even. Um, and it it's starting to develop this new sound that we'll we'll hear in other bands. Um, especially, it, it's almost kind of early before we head into the early aughts and the grunge rock revival mm-hmm. or the garage rock revival. Garage sorry. Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it's almost a little ahead of its time on that. So it, it doesn't fit, I think in the movie, I can't see a scene where this would work, but it's kind of a nice addition to the soundtrack as we fill out what that era sounded like. in um, this post hair metal, post grunge kind of, era yeah and i mean i don't really know what glam punk means to be perfectly honest means exactly what this song sounds like like i I couldn't describe it but i'd be like listen to this and that there it is yeah i mean you're no you're not wrong but like if if glam punk just means like guys who really want to be the new york dolls like okay that's fine i get that (laughs) but also like also like if you told me this was another fake band they made up for the movie i would have 100 percent believed you because they, <laughs> I, they just give off that vibe of like uh, a movie creation but like i do like this song this is a good song and the, the music video for this is fun too so 
Yeah. Like I wish it had been featured in the movie for sure. Um and although speaking of uh the New York dolls, I just picked up uh Buster Poindexter. Oh, nice. David Johansson, uh, who we talked about in our Scrooge yeah, episode. That's right. So uh, and actually, um, we didn't mention this at the top of the show, but R.I.P. to Mojo Nixon. Yes, that's our right. toad from Super Mario Brothers. We I was so upset to see that. We were so gung-ho about doing this airheads, we completely forgot to talk about Mojo Nixon and Mojo Super Mario Brothers. I'm so sorry. And I hated yeah. that, yeah. No, I was. Uh, you were uh, one of the first people I texted. I was like, "Toad, no." And then uh, the uh, just as you were about to watch Super Mario Brothers. Li- yeah, literally like that day, the, my 4K of Super Mario Brothers arrived, and that you sent me that. And I was like, "Well, I guess I know what I'm doing tonight." <laughs> Your Mario uh, don't have Mojo Nixon. Your Mario could use some fixing. Wow, um, this, this is this is all true. Yeah, looking at you, illumination. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I really like that one. I'm. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of it, uh, Diggs, Curious George Blues was sort of like, again, kind of your like bargain basement Our Lady piece, like just the most basic alternative you could find. Yeah, like my my note on this was like, this is music that's not actually made to be listened to. Yeah, it's edging into this thoughtful but aggressive college radio sound that's going to carry us through the rest of the decade and i was kind of thinking like if metal is like the ripped black jeans and grunge is the flannel music like this is the doc martens it's like sensible but also you don't want to fight it yeah i I, it'll kind of fuck you up but it also makes you look sensitive that's true it's 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 not so it's not grunge explicitly it's more just generic sad boy rock Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that again, sort of alternative uh, production value. Yeah, and I guess the only other song that I think is is worth talking about on this soundtrack is uh, "Stuttering John's I'll Talk My Way Out of It." Yeah. If only because the music video is pretty fun. <laughs> did Did you watch the videos that I sent you? I okay, I did. I was like, I I wasn't going to, and it came on, and I heard Gilbert Godfrey. I'm like, well, now I got to watch this whole video. Yep. <laughs> so. so, like, uh, yeah, I'll play a clip of this. So first of all, Stuttering John, John Melendez, I mean, he's more famous these days for having been on like the Howard Stern show and the Jay Leno show and stuff like that. But he appears as a comedian, as a, right? As a comedian. Yeah. So like yeah. he's he kind of did rock music as sort of a joke. And this song is very much kind of a joke because he is not a singer like at all. No. He does have long hair in the video. though. He does. Yeah, like, and yeah, I guess he's got that rock and roll lifestyle like the kids like. That's true. He, he's got the look. You know, as uh, as Roxette would say, <laughs> but um, he also he's he's in the movie. He's one of the guys who yells back at Chaz. He's the one who says, "I used to masturbate constantly." That's him. Um, yeah, and like this is a fun song, but it's like the most boneheaded song in the world. Yes, I've all like already forgotten it. Like I'll remember the video forever. Mm-hmm. 
but I've already forgotten what the sounds like. Yeah, and <laughs> so it sounds like it's more fun to talk about the video then because like it's it's Gilbert Gottfried is is stuttering John's agent and he's trying to set up auditions for a new bass player for his band. And the first person that walks through the door is Grandpa Munster himself, Al Lewis, as a, a mm-hmm. talent scout. <laughs> and the band's playing the song, and different bass players are coming in and out to to um, audition for the band. At one point, Gene Simmons shows up. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Gilbert Gottfried says, from the band Smooch, <laughs> <laughs> which is a really fun bit. And then as the song ends, uh, who shows up late for the audition? It's Sting, everybody. Sting, who might be my new nemesis now, we haven't decided. Uh, TBD, to be determined. Um, touring with Billy Joel, so. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right, isn't he? Um, but then, you know, the last fun little thing about, you know, the song ends and the very last thing you hear is the guitarist play the five note riff from Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which I wish was more of the song, but like, eh, it's a fun little thing. But uh, it's it, like you said, it's a better music video than a song. Exactly. It's it's a joke. It's fun. I'm I'm glad it's here, but we don't you know, you don't need it. <laughs> and I guess I'm, I'm not sure why it's on this particular soundtrack. Yeah, I don't. It just it seems like filler here. I mean, like it works for the sound of the era. For the sound that the Lone Rangers are going for. Mm. This is what the Lone Rangers are like fighting against, I feel like. The image. That See, I feel against. like this is. I think I feel like that's what they're going for, even if they don't know it. Because uh, it's like, again, kind of that silly party music. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But also, they, this, they, this, yeah, this, I don't know. This feels like I'm still confused at what the Lone Rangers really want, honestly. They want. I, I think like the Motorhead song at the top is really throwing me for a loop. <laughs> they want what any like 16 year old TikTok influencer wants. They just want to be famous. I guess, but like they feel it seems like they have a heart. Like Brett, like uh, Chaz has a heart, yeah, but yeah. Uh, Rex just wants to party. And and I feel te- I feel a, a inside the music coming on. <laughs> I would love to see like a, a, a breakdown of like the history, a fake breakdown of the history of this band. That would be amazing. 30 years that later. Would be great. Get, be wonderful. get on that, Adam Sandler. Come on. Um, got like how many movies for Netflix? Just make it happen. Exactly. Like you, you've got the money. Brendan Fraser's not doing anything. It's true. Because they got rid of uh, Batgirl. That's true. I'm not, and, I'm, I'm not, and I'm not saying he's not doing anything because he he needs the work. He's got a, he's got his Oscar. He's fine. If you want to call him up and do it, he'll do it. You know, he's just hanging out at his horse ranch. Yeah, Steve Buscemi's hanging out at a, at a fire station somewhere. He's got nothing better to do. Uh, there's other songs on the soundtrack. Obviously, there's uh, "Stick" by the band Fuel, or if it or maybe it's "Fuel" by the band Stick. I really don't know. Yeah, it's "Stick" by the band Fuel, but it's just bleak mush mouth forgettable grunge i will say this though i did find out no the band is called stick yes uh but from what i from what i could tell stick originated as a band called kill whitey and when they got signed to a major label the label said you guys got to change that name so they made one album and they were never heard from again probably for the best probably for the best it is it's four minutes long it is four minutes too long yeah um i'm I felt the same about Prong's uh, inheritance. Yeah, that's my note was, uh, please, God, uh, stop this now. Yeah, like it gets in and out pretty quick, but like, I don't need this in my life. It's really bad. <laughs> and uh, 
you know, Primus is here. All we can say about this is like, this is not a song at all. I hate Primus so much. Like, yeah, bastardizing Jellica. It's I hate it. I almost want to say like they thought they were doing like ambient music for the movie, but it's not in the movie. God. So they just did it for no reason. <laughs> yeah, Primus is the musical equivalent of a dude with a mattress on the floor and skid marks on his towels. I'm I'm going to have to walk very lightly here because like I do enjoy some Primus, but also you're not wrong. I mean, like we all enjoy garbage. I mean, yeah, Shirley Manson's like, terrible. Great. <laughs> we all enjoy terrible music. Oh, let me okay. put it that okay. way. Okay. Because okay. garbage is great. Um, an amazing band for amazing people. Um, but also, but, so, like, something I want to point out, like this, like the Primus song, among a, a few others, this is the only album that this song appears on. Like they don't have any, it's not on any of their compilations or B-side collections. Like if you really need bastardizing Jelly Kit, the Airhead soundtrack is the only way to get it. <laughs> why physical media is so important exactly but like Candlebox, dig prong uh the lone ranger song like all these songs were specifically done for the film white zombie four non-blondes and motorhead like all those are original to this so wow. this was still that era when you could just get a bunch of rock bands to do songs for your movie you just can't do that it was anymore a, a great time and we blew it this is what they took from us this, this is exa- this is what sh- people like milo took from us yeah so, okay, final thoughts. What what did you think of this album as a whole? As a whole, it wasn't for me, but I loved the kind of cultural implications of it. Mm. Like, I loved listening to it as a, a way to look up at music in 1994. I think 1994 has honestly been our best year for film soundtracks because we keep coming back to it. I, I think so, and yeah. They're, they're all so interesting and they're so diverse. Yeah. it's it, 19- I mean, This could not be further from the Mask soundtrack. Right. Or from Clerks, for that matter. Huh. Like, 1994 was a real moment, and like, like you said, we blew it. <laughs> so what about you? I, yeah, I, I mostly agree. Like, I, I appreciate the Motorhead song. I appreciate the uh, Four Non Blondes cover. I like the Anthrax song, but that's just me. And, yeah, it's always nice to hear a, a Ramon song that I hadn't heard before. So uh, the the, I guess, the contemporary metal songs, I'm just, I'm miss me with that but everything else is pretty fun it's, it's a, a neat era to look at mm-hmm. um especially having you know 30 years to look back on it good lord 30 years <sighs> well yeah that's gonna do it for airheads it's it's okay i, I think the movie is more interesting as like a, a cultural moment than it is as a comedy or a music film because i don't think it's very funny but I also don't think it, the music is worth it, really. Yeah, but, I enjoyed it. But for what it says about, like, where rock radio is in the 90s and where it's about to go, like, I think it's very, like, timely and prescient. Yeah, I think of all the movies that we've watched about the corporatization of music, I think this one's my favorite. This one hits the nail on the head a lot better than most. Yeah, like, yeah. FM is hot garbage but this like i I can at least get behind it i just wish it were funnier yeah um i and i really i like uh i I love Chaz and he's he's sensitive and handsome and i don't know i kind of i liked it i like this movie a lot (laughs) well so so, libby it's your turn to pick what are we doing next on the ost party so uh we're gonna continue this trend we've actually i've actually really been enjoying this uh little side quest We've been doing about uh, songs about the radio. 
Yeah. And the music business. Um, so we're going to do um, the film Pirate Radio, which I've never seen. So this is going to be really exciting. Yeah, from 2009. This comes from uh, Richard Curtis, who did uh, Love Actually. So you know what you're getting yourself into there. Yeah, well, I don't because I've actually never finished Love Actually, but he also directed Blackadder, which I do love. Well, what I'm getting at is it's got a big cast, a lot of comedians, and lots of music. So we're going to have a good time with this one. This could be fun. This could be a lot of fun. Wow. Right. Um, or it could be a nightmare like uh, FM. So <laughs> it really dive in. It really could. Dive in naked. It really could go either way, couldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and if it goes sour, I am sorry. Um, but until then, Libby, where can our listeners find you on the internet? You can find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday. You can find me on Blue Sky at Libby Cudmore. Uh, you can always check out my website, LibbyCudmore.com. Uh, Joe, where can we find you? You can find me on all the socials at Cordial Wombat. Or if you want to hear me yell about Christmas movies, I'm still doing uh, Christmas Creeps at Christmas Creeps on all the socials. We're gearing up for uh, our next episode here at some point soon. I got to get uh, cracking on that, but uh, stay tuned. And if you want to hear us talk about anything else on the OST party, as far as movie soundtracks or whatnot go, you can uh, email us your suggestions at ostpartypod at gmail.com or uh, follow us on social media. We're at OST party. You can't miss us. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we will have a poll for the, the best song on the Airhead soundtrack at some point soon. So keep an eye out for that. All right, friends. Well, that's gonna do it for this episode i had a great time libby and i hope you did too i did as always as always well folks uh that will do it for the ost party i'm joseph wade and i'm libby cudmore buy the ticket take the ride (laughs) 